another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name is Rick McClatchy. I am your host today. Glad to be here with you. And today we are going to actually listen in on a Q&A session that I was able to lead uh, one of my other jobs, if you will. I actually help teach a class at uh, the illustrious, the revered learning institution known as Portland Bible College. If you'd like to have more information about Portland Bible College, we affectionately refer to as PBC. You can go to portlandbiblecollege.org and check out information there. It is well worth your time. So uh, the class that I get to teach is called Pastoral Ministries, and one of the texts that we are reading as a class is a book called Replicate, How to Build a Discipleship Culture uh, Where You Are. And so uh, discipleship is obviously a topic we have been talking about quite a bit on the Growing Faith podcast. It's a big deal in personal lives and in the church. So I hope that today you will find some good value in being able to listen in on the conversation that we had uh, with the authors of the book, Pastors Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain from uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, Long Hollow Baptist Church there. And they were completely wonderful, uh, gracious guests to have with us. And uh, I think you'll you want to get a notebook out and take some notes. The, the content is just excellent. So enjoy, and I will catch you on the other side. All right, so we are officially recording. Just I wanted to capture this opportunity. Um, just to start off, um, my name is Rick McClatchy, and I'm teaching this awesome class at Portland Bible College. It is uh, called Pastoral Ministries. It is a Bit predominantly a junior level uh, course in our four-year Bible college and uh, inspired by you, Pastor Robbie, uh, trying to make sure that we uh, give a, lo a lot of practical, real-world um, type of training and not just good book learning. There's some other phenomenal theologian teacher people in our school that teach incredibly. Uh, I pride myself more on the practical end of theology, and so... Uh, really enjoyed uh, your book, um, really enjoyed uh, your guys' podcast, really appreciate the effort that you put out to equip the body of Christ uh, to do what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and I'm pretty passionate about this discipleship topic, so really just uh, super uh, pumped that we can have this conversation today. I have had a few uh, questions loaded in uh, by, by the students that I can fire away at you guys while we go through. Uh, but just as a starting point, you can give us just, uh, you know, the quick uh, 30 to 60 second bio of each of you guys so they get a chance to get to know you a little bit. And then um, maybe uh, just kind of what what's brought you to this place to write the book and that kind of thing, like set us up a little bit. I'll go first. This uh, passage is a little more lengthy than mine. But uh, uh, so I, I started following Jesus in 1991 and surrendered to ministry very shortly after that, began to serve a ministry a few years later. And in a long term of ministry at some relatively large churches, just had never really focused in on making disciples. Uh, really just kind of built uh, attendance and worked on decisions. And all of my work effort was who is going to get in the water and who am I leading to the Lord? And, and again, some of that stuff is not, it's not wrong unless that is the ultimate goal. You know, it's, it's thinking, okay, it's not just about building numerically the church. And so I met Pastor Robbie in 2015, 
uh, pastor here at my church. He came to the church I was already attending, and uh, I was working at Lifeway at the time, which is a Christian book publisher, stepped out of Lifeway to come work here with Replicate and now leading our disciple-making team. Um, that's that's the nutshell of how I got involved here. Yeah. Um, I actually, and I think I wrote a little bit about this in the book, I was actually raised uh, Catholic, very religious Catholic, went to church every Sunday, uh, but I didn't have a relationship with the Lord, like a personal relationship with the Lord. Uh, I got a scholarship to play basketball at a Southern Baptist college of all places, uh, which I was the target of every evangelism class on campus for about four years. Uh, I heard the gospel or rejected the gospel, uh, got out of college and I decided I didn't want to do anything uh, as far as like business wise. So I started to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kind of an MMA fighting. This is when the UFC, Rick, was not big like it is now. So we weren't making a lot of money. But I was 6'6", 290 pounds back then, and uh, I thought, I, I have a career as an MMA fighter. I was a bouncer and bartender for a season. And uh, one night coming home from work, I was driving home. An 18-wheeler came across two lanes of traffic, sandwiched my car into the guardrail, uh, herniated two discs in my neck and back, and uh, shortly thereafter, I was addicted to pain meds, just as a result of an accident. You know, that's how a lot of people get addicted today. Uh, Oxycontin, Valium, Solmin, Percocet is what the doctor sent me home with at 22. And you know the story. Three-year drug addiction, started to sell drugs, import drugs, ecstasy, GHB, Special K, uh, which is not a cereal, marijuana, uh, heroin, cocaine. And I'm not telling you any of this to impress you. Uh, I just want to impress upon you how far the Lord brought me from. Uh, I I robbed my own family for $15,000, lived without gas, electricity, and water for a season, went to two rehab treatments, and then finally, uh, November 12, 2002, 18, right under 18 years ago, I had this radical Paul-like conversion in my room. Wasn't in a church, wasn't in a revival service, it was in my room. And uh, the same day I got called to serve Jesus was the same day he called me in the ministry. But what happened was for the next eight months, like many of you after you got saved, I just wandered in the Christian life. I didn't know how to read the Bible, I didn't know how to memorize scripture, I didn't know I should. And so I wandered in the Christian life, and I was at a church called Edgewater Baptist Church. I was an eight-month-old Christian, and I met a man who looked about 12 at the time named David Platt, Uh, and he was a church member. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with David, but he wrote a book called Radical, and uh, he's a pastor in Virginia, but uh, he was a seminary student. And I really think David, Rick took me on as a project. I I like to joke with David. I'm like because I was still cruising with clothes from the club to church. I had a $50,000 Cadillac CTS black on black with chrome rims in the parking lot. And I wasn't playing Eminem and Dr. Dre. I was playing DJ Madge and Cross Movement and KJ52 now, but I didn't know the protocol. You know, like, like I'm supposed to dress a certain way, talk a certain way as a Christian. But David took me under his wing. And for two years, this is the product of Replicate, for two years, David invested in me. We met twice a week, every week for two years. Uh, We met at six o'clock before school started when I went to seminary. And David was really influential in my life. He baptized me, he took me on my first mission trip, he stood at my wedding. Uh, And I tell you that to say I'm the product of discipleship. So what we did in Replicate is, we took what David did intuitively with me over the course of two years, and systematized it into a process for the local church and for ministry. And so that is the outflow of how we created Replicate. Chris brings years of experience in student ministry and publishing world and really uh, ministering to churches. And then my practical experience as a pastor 
uh, although Chris was a pastor too, we brought that together and produced Replicate. That's awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing that journey. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I kind of have a, a totally different pathway, um, but I remember kind of living a fairly pointless Christian life for years. I gave my life to Christ when I was seven. And then I remember uh, coming to Bible college and having, <laughs> I mean, I was paying for it, but having people like explain what the Bible is and how it fits together and how you can study the Bible. And, and it just like totally changed the course of my life because all of a sudden God was speaking to me and was, you know, directing my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, God's got a plan for my life. This is crazy. And so, um, so I super appreciate that. I guess one lead in <laughs> is uh, thinking about uh, David uh, taking you on and, um, and, and meeting with you. Uh, what, what, you know, if you peel back the layer of mystery, like what did those two times a week look like? Um, and would it, I mean, would it be basically reflected in, in the book or what did that, what did those times look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I would say people ask me this all the time. What was it like to be discipled by David Platt? You know, everybody wants to know what, what was it like? And I have to be honest, I, I, I don't remember much of all we talked about. I mean, I'm sure we talked about justification and sanctification and the tenets of eschatology and premillennialism and all those things that people get excited about semantically, right? I, we talked about those things. But here's what I remember most about David, not what he said, watch this, the way he lived. And what David showed me was an amazing principle of discipleship. You can't expect others. So if you're, if you're discipling someone, if you're investing in someone, you can't expect others to, you can't expect others to do what you're not emulating yourself. It's a great principle of discipleship. So if I'm going to share with my church, let's say, or the guys in my group, you need to be in the word until the word gets into you. You need to have a designated time with God every day to meet with God. If I'm not doing that, there's no power or authority in, in that. If I'm not a man of prayer, then how can I challenge them to be a man of prayer? So David would basically emulate these things before me, and then he would expect me to do that. The second thing I learned from David was this. Uh, I don't know if I talk about this in the book or not, but uh, the first meeting we met at the Chinese restaurant, Mr. Wang's Chinese restaurant, and over General So's chicken, you know, Dave and I are talking, and I don't have a notebook, but I have some, some, some napkins. And I'm, I was a voracious note taker back then, and so I was taking notes on the napkins. And so the waitress would come, I'd say, hey, can I get one more napkin? Make, make that two, you know, so... I'm writing, and about halfway through the group, Platt leans over and he's like, hey, uh, uh, you may want to get a notebook. And I said, really? He said, I don't know if you're going to keep these napkins, which he was right, right? So I had all these napkins. And, uh, and David taught me a principle about discipleship. And here's what he showed me. He said, Robbie, you're not learning for you. He said, you're learning for the person who's going to come behind you one day. Now, I turned around in the restaurant like some of you because you're thinking, who? I'm like, David. There's nobody coming behind me, dude. I'm, a, I'm like an eight, nine-month-old Christian. My dad's not a pastor. I don't even know anybody in the ministry. What are you talking about? David said, one day they will. And he said this line. He said, you're not learning for you. You're learning for the next guy. And I've remembered that, that and here's the thing, information is stewardship. What you're learning from, you know, Professor Rick is, is it's a stewardship issue. And I believe when we stand before heaven, God's not going to ask us how well we stewarded just resources, time, and talents. I believe God's going to ask us how well did we steward information. The information that he gave to us. 
And this is how we came up with the line, which is kind of a mantra for our ministry. The gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else, right? Think about that. Like the gospel came to us. And so everybody in class is either, you have a spiritual baton in your hand, if you think about it. And everybody in here is either running with passion and handing the baton off to the next generation, or you're fumbling the handoff. But there's no other way to do it. Like you're either passionately leaving a legacy or you're fumbling the handoff. Looked like Pastor Chris had something he wanted to add in there. I didn't want to miss. I didn't want to. I was not there with David, so I can't add anything into that. But <laughs> one of the things that I have been, I've experienced in that is every single thing that Pastor has been learning, um, he's teaching us every day. Like you know, we meet and we hang out. He's saying, "Hey, here's what what I got," and texting about it, and just creating a culture which is poured down to the rest of our team. You know, it's kind of like, Hey, if, if he's doing this, I need to be doing this. And so on a practical level with you as a believer, every time God shows you something, that's not just for you to take and hold. It's, it's to take and, and share with someone, your kids, your family, a friend, someone that you're talking with. Um, everything passes through that. And so it's just a great mindset to have. Mm -hmm. So that brings up a great point that I'd like to kind of launch into maybe the next question is, uh, we talk a lot about building culture uh, for like church culture in this course. So uh, pastoral ministry, leading a congregation, uh, then developing, being strategic about what kind of culture you want to see built in your church. And so um, if you're wanting to build a discipleship culture in your church, one of the, one of the chapters or sections in the book that was having it, it was particularly poignant for me right now is uh, discipling your staff and just the the benefits of that you want to talk to us just a little bit about how you how you roll that out practically and uh, maybe even how you kind of figured out the value of that yeah so uh, the church i was at before long hollow was a church uh called brainerd baptist church very traditional church very different than the church i was at before which was a very smaller church first church was like 65 people in the middle of the bayou of South Louisiana. So that was an interesting group of people. They were fishermen and shrimpers, you can imagine. Uh, very laid back, spirit led church. People would come to Emmanuel and say, this is not a traditional Baptist church, very spirit led. And so we went from that to a very uh, conservative, choir driven, orchestra oriented, suit and tie kind of preaching church. I remember my wife, Candy, when they sent us the video. This was before the internet was, you know, sermons were big online, but they sent us one of those videos of what the service was like. And it's this high church, big, you know, organ. My poor wife, Candy, she looks over and she said, God's calling us to this. Right. You know, like, like this is, we don't know anything about yeah. this. And the only thing I had, Rick, was if it was exactly the way we expected it to be, God wouldn't need us. Or the way we feel like God's leading it to be, he wouldn't need us. So sometimes God does call you to a place that is very foreign yeah. uh, because you're going to be the change agent or the catalyst shaper. So we went to this place. Uh, it was a church of about 850, and I'm telling you this for context. Uh, and the church wanted to reach 1,000 people. This was in the DNA of the church. We just have to hit 1,000. So they did every kind of tactic you, you can imagine. Pack a few Sunday, bring a friend Friday, dinner on the grounds Wednesday. I mean, they did everything to, to hit a thousand people and they could hit a thousand, but they couldn't sustain a thousand. So when I came into the church, like most churches you go into, we had a once a week, three hour business meeting. 
And I hate to say it's a business meeting, but that's what this thing was. It was a three hour, and I'm sure, Rick, you've been around these where it's just business. It's how many doors have you knocked on? How many calls did you make? How many people did you stay? How many counseling set? And all those things are important. And what's the budget year over year? What's the three-year analysis? And what's the spreadsheet for this year? I mean, it's all that stuff. And, and some of that stuff's good. I'm not discounting that. But I realized that in order for the church, here's the principle, to be healthy, it is a trickle-down effect from the staff, okay? Leadership is always top-down, okay? So in the sense of if the staff is healthy, the church will see that and they will rise to that level of health. If there's dysfunction at the leadership level, it affects the church folk as well, and they can see that. So I knew my goal was to get the staff as healthy as possible. So I went into the first business meeting and I had an executive pastor who was 25 years in the business world. And before the meeting, I said, here's what the deal. I'll still let you do business, but I need you to do that for an hour and a half, not three. I need you to give me an hour and a half of discipleship time with my staff. And he's like, well, how are we going to get through? I said, we're going to get through. Just trust me. And what I did was, is I went in that first meeting and I said, for the next year, we're going to have a close, intimate relationship through the word. We're going to pray for each other and we're going to memorize scripture together. Now, when I threw out memorize scripture, they're like, memorize scripture? Like, I didn't sign up for that. What are you talking about? And I said, not only are we going to memorize scripture, we're going to memorize whole chapters of scripture. In fact, we're going to memorize the entire book of 2 Timothy. Now, you can imagine the balking and the, and the pushback, like, like, what are you talking? I didn't sign up for this. And so every week, here's what we do. We would go around and they would have to memorize two verses a week. And if you go earlier in, in the staff, you wanted to go earlier because it was less scripture to quote. Like every week it was longer, right? And then they would nominate another person and nominate another. I think we had like 12 or 14 on staff at the time. And so uh, I never forget this. We got through about maybe six months of this. And we were like halfway through chapter two. Um, and I just remember one of my friends and mentors was on staff with me. We got through chapter two, you know, you therefore my child be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who are able to teach others also share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No, so that section. So we're in that section and it was almost like every staff member was waiting with bated breath to see if this person could get it. Cause we were all in this thing together. We were all struggling together. And when this person finished that section, man, I'm telling you what happened. It was like we won the Super Bowl, right? They were running around high-fiving and cheering like we did it together. And I looked over at my friend on staff and I said, do you see what God is doing? This is not a manipulative tactic or a new program or a new paradigm we're going to introduce. This is taking a group of men and women, centering themselves around the word and letting the word do the work. And God knitted our hearts together. And so what happened was, for one year, we had a discipleship group. And what we did in that time was we do five things in the group. You can write these down. This is, and it's not rocket science. This is very, very simple. And you've got to remember this principle. You have to make your discipleship groups purposely simple. The reason I'm saying that is, and Chris will tell you this because he's heard the stories. My first discipleship group was through the big blue book of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Some of you know that book. It's a great book, right? Who, who doesn't love the incommunicable qualities of God and the communicable qualities? I mean, who doesn't love stuff? The kenosis theory, boy, that's a good one. I mean, we love that stuff. 
And I finished with my group, uh, Pastor, and at the end of the group, I said, are you guys ready to launch? They said, no. I said, what do you mean? They said, Pastor Robbie, we learned a lot of great things, but there is no way we can do what you did with us with other people. And I realized that the blue book was great, but it wasn't replicatable. Write this down. The goal of discipleship or the purpose of discipleship is for the mentee to become a mentor or the player to become a coach. That's the goal. The goal is not to be a cistern of truth that people invest in you and you just keep it. You're supposed to be a channel of blessing where the information flows through you and in you to, to someone else. So the five things you want to do in a group, here they are, purposely simple. You always start off with what is the, give us an update on the week. How was your week? Quick update. Now, what you're going to find if you're, you're a guy, guys normally don't talk in bigger contexts. Like you can't even, you can't pry a guy open to talk. But you put him in a group of three to five and he won't shut up. I'm just telling you, just prepare yourself. Like he, you can't get him to stop. It's like, bro, we gotta move, you know, we gotta move on. I appreciate that, but we gotta move on. So you wanna temper that time to two to three minutes, you know, one to two minutes each. After you go around and you give an update on the week, you pray. Okay, pray for the group. The second thing you do always, and this is what I do, Chris may do it differently, but what I do is always scripture memory. Scripture memory is always second. I used to do scripture memory later, uh, but the problem is I would forget it. And they would love it because I would forget, you know, because they're like, they, they, but I'm telling you, scripture memory is the difference that makes all the difference. So we do scripture memory. We either memorize sections of scripture, which we give you in the F260 plan, which is our foundation. In the back of the book. Or well. in the back of the book. Yeah. yeah. You can do that. Or you can do chapters of the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing like it. Two years ago, my group memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And the cool thing was I happened to have a trip going to Israel that year, and I was able to quote the Sermon on the Mount sitting on the Sermon on the Mount. You talk about just overwhelming. Sitting on the Mount. Sitting on the Mount, yeah. I wasn't giving the sermon, but I was sitting on the Mount, yeah. Okay, so that's another way. The third thing you do always is hear journals. The hear journal model, if you haven't started this, it's in the book. This is what changed the churches I pastored. Because what we're doing is, we're showing people how to hear from God. That's the biggest problem in the church today. Most Christians would say, I don't hear from God. How does a 2,000-year-old book have any bearing on my 21st century life? The Hear Journal allows them to come in every week and say, this is what I heard from God. Okay. Then the fourth thing we do is if we have time, we read a book. Now, for some groups, you may want to read Replicate. I mean, that's a book to read. But what we do is we always read Growing Up. It's a book I wrote. It's the first book I wrote. And it's a simple, reproducible, spiritual disciplines book on how to grow closer to the Lord. Most of our groups, if not all, start with Growing Up. Uh, but you notice it's number four on the list, meaning if we don't get to it, it's okay. Sometimes the Holy Spirit takes us in a different direction and we don't have time for it, and that's okay. And then the fifth thing, and this is the big one, the fifth thing you want to do is you want to give them an action step that supports what we studied. So if we studied about evangelism in the group or talked about evangelism, then I would challenge them to begin praying for a lost person in their life. If we studied about prayer, then I would challenge them to have their first cup of coffee with Jesus for a week. If I challenge them about Bible reading, then we're going to spend time reading extensive. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So we give them an action step and then we close 
with a prayer request. And that's it. It's not rocket science. And I would add to that in terms of the culture. One, you can see that he, you know, his ministry bleeds discipleship. And as you're trying to set that culture, you have to know what you want the culture to be. I think a lot of guys go to a church or they're in a ministry or they're volunteering and they're just saying, okay, let's, let's do whatever is here or let's throw some things at the wall. But if you haven't defined what that culture needs to be yourself, you're not going to be able to set it up. And then you've got to bleed that culture constantly yeah. because it's not something where you can say, hey, we're going we're gonna to lean into discipleship now and then walk away and think it's going to happen. It's got to be something point. where you're practicing over and over. And when you think it's been redundant, you haven't even started yet. Yeah. You, know, you got to continue to do it. And I mean, even, and we, we have highs and lows here where it feels like, okay, what, what, why are we not leaning into this? Well, are we still talking about it? Are we still doing it? Are we still emulating it? Cause they're always going to do what has been shown to them. You know, we, and one of the things that we talk about in the book and in that chapter specifically is looking at the different types of people that you're leading and helping and helping them get there. And Pastor Robbie points out, there are some people that may never get there. And so you've got to mow around those, those people, you know, <laughs> some yep. stumps you can pull out, some you mow around, you make, you got to choose those battles, but it's knowing where you want to go. And then constantly you're going there and you're, you're obviously you want to take people with you, but you have to be consistently pouring into that vision that you've set. Yeah. And he, and what Chris is saying is you can write this down. Discipleship has to be the ministry of your church, not a ministry in your church. This is where pastors will fail with discipleship. They just add discipleship on to a buffet line of other programs and processes and the order of the day or the flavor of the month kind of ministry and program. So as you're deciding how you're going to lead your ministry or how you're going to pastor your church or how you're going to lead your student ministry, you need to get in your mind this, and this is what changed it for me. The only thing that Jesus has authorized us to do in the Bible, authorized us to do, is make disciples. You're probably saying, well, how, how is that possible? Here's how. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, therefore, go make disciples. So he is, in a sense, authorizing us to make disciples. The only thing we find Jesus authorizing us, in a sense, to do in the Bible. So I think discipleship is a worthy cause to give your ministry to and your life to. That's awesome. Uh, so kind of uh, going along those lines and just focus in church, uh, oftentimes discipleship and evangelism are viewed as like not juxtaposing, but like you, you got to focus on one or the other. Like you start talking about discipleship and people are like, oh, you're a pastor that wants to care for the people that are already here. Um, you're, we need to be focused about the, the lost. We need to go find the lost. We need to reach the lost. So um, give, me a, give me your kind of viewpoint on evangelism and discipleship, evangelism versus discipleship and how that, how that works out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hear this all the time because we're known as the yeah. discipleship ministry. And so they always give us you know, well, flack. And if you look at chapter three, the title kind of gives away the answer. Discipleship is evangelism. Yeah. And that's what I think the misnomer is. We've taught people that, hey, discipleship is sitting in a room studying a book together. And evangelism is sharing the gospel with people. And what Jesus emulated is not that. You know, we talked about the discipleship group earlier. Specifically, the focus is, one of the key focuses is holding people accountable. Because we would say the missing piece to evangelism in the church today is accountability. Yes. And right now, you don't find accountability anywhere in the church outside of a specific what we would say is a discipleship group. Rarely do you find it. You might find it, but rarely. You're not going to talk about in Sunday school, small group. 
And if you do, it's more of a, hey, is anyone sharing their faith? Okay, we'll pray for so-and-so. In discipleship groups, you have that opportunity to say, Robbie, who are you intentionally going after? How do we pray with, the, pray with you about that person and walk with you through that process until something happens? Mm -hmm. And it may be that that person rejects Christ. It may be that that person moves. It may be that, you know, what, it may be that they come to Christ, but the accountability factor is what makes a difference. And that's why we would say, yes, it's two oars in the same boat. And we definitely, I mean, there are two different things taking place, growing to be like Jesus, leading others to Jesus. But it's part of that. It's one thing called disciple making. Yep. And that's why we would say you can't really separate those two things. And so when you have a quote unquote highly evangelistic church, discipleship is happening. It's probably just a very, very shallow discipleship. And when you have a church that's all leaning into, let's get together and study and, and Christ will bring people whenever he chooses to, and we'll kind of wait for that to happen. Maybe that they're, they're probably being evangelistic, very, but a very shallow evangelism. What we're saying is the balance effect there is what Jesus emulated for us and how he led the disciples. It's both of these things working together and one flowing out of the other constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the likelihood of you going into a discipleship-driven church is is uh, low. I mean, it just what you're going to go into is normally, which I'm not saying this is bad. It's the reality is an evangelistic-driven, reach people at all costs, save the laws, make a decision today, now or never, turn or burn. That's normally what we go into, and I'm not saying that's bad. But here's what Chris is, is saying: is it has to be a both and. For years, we've made it an either or. And so we've pitted these two concepts that, in a, or a kind of a symbiotic relationship in the Bible. Jesus never, you know, compartmentalized them. So why would we? Here's the example. Let's say I say Rick and Chris are going to have a contest and uh, we're going to go out outside the school and we're going to have this big contest. And there's this big pool set up like the fountain and we're going to take water from the fountain and we're going to fill up kiddie pools. Okay. So you got two kiddie pools. Rick, you got one. Chris has one. You're going to take the fountain and you're both going to have buckets. Okay. And right away you realize Rick that you're at a disadvantage because you look down at your bucket and you realize it's filled with holes. Like the whole thing's holes. And you look at Chris, you're like his bucket doesn't have holes. And I say, don't worry about that. Pastor, we're going to do the, don't, don't complain. We're going to play the game. Immediately, when Chris puts his bucket in, he fills it up to the brim, and he runs to his pool, and he dumps the water in. When you fill your bucket up, you start running, and all the water's gone, and by the time you get to the pool, there's nothing there. That's how most churches are with a lack of discipleship. They have a bucket of evangelistic conversions of people who have made decisions. They get excited about Jesus, but they fall out the back door and away from the Lord because they don't have a discipleship strategy to sustain them. So just like you wouldn't create a system whereby you're filling a kiddie pool with water with an evangelistic bucket with holes, think about the church that way. That's what's happening in the church. So you have to have a both and strategy, not just a strategy to reach lost people, to have them cross the threshold of faith. You have to have a strategy of when they cross the threshold of faith. Here's a line we use in the book. Baptism, and this is a line to think about, baptism is never the finish line. If you get nothing else, this, this is what I want you to get. Baptism is never the finish line. It's the starting line. Baptism is great. We high five. We celebrate. Praise God. Brother so-and-so, sister, she got saved. Baptized. Awesome. But when they get out the water, that's when the work begins. It's not let's put them aside and, hey, whether you, you, know, whether you follow the Lord or not, that's correct. Come back next week. We want to see you next week. Don't forget that. Make sure you give. And then we don't care and we don't do anything with them. What we're saying is if you invest in discipling those people who are saved or the people you already have in your church, 
they become the greatest apologetic for discipleship to the world because people see them on fire for Jesus. And when a person gets on fire for Jesus, listen, what a great witness to the world. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorites, used to say this line. He'd say, you don't have to advertise a fire. It advertises itself. And listen, listen, class, when people get on fire for Jesus, they become the greatest advertisement for discipleship you'll ever have. All right, let's see if we can cram in one more quick question before you guys got to go. Um, I am a small groups pastor at the church. And so, um, you know, one big thing you're trying to build in small groups is community and relationships. And so <laughs> if you look at the discipleship group model and you're looking at uh, a six month, a nine month, a 12 month and you know, 18 month, maybe at kind of the longer end. Um, and then and then you're telling everybody now go and start your own groups. One of the objections or concerns then is how do we have uh, long lasting, meaningful relationships developed in the church? And then do we uh, are we telling people to basically start a network marketing business, you know, in the kingdom of God? Um, so what, what was what's your response or thoughts on that kind of topic? Yeah, I would say the discipleship pathway, which we lay out in the book, consists of the different ways Jesus ministered. So he had the, the crowds, he had the congregation, he had the community, he had the court. And we break that down as the 120, the 12, the 3 to 5, Peter, James, John, or the 3 or 4, 4 including him, and then the crowds that he consistently ministered to. So what, what you have to look at when you look at the pathway is each component is critical. And so discipleship is going to continually multiply. But that community doesn't, doesn't have to continually multiply, at least not at that pace. So I'm not saying uh, small groups or Sunday school, which is typically what we call that community, that 12, uh, could be 12 to 20. You know, um, that, that's more of a co-ed option. That is, it's, it's more fellowship driven, but at the same time, there's some praying for each other, uh, breaking of bread, mutual care, all the things you see in Acts 2. But what you're trying to have happen in that group is long-term relational situation. So if I'm discipling discipling a few guys, the best place to go find those guys first is from my own life group, small group, Sunday school class. Um, But even if I I multiply that group and and we're not in the same biblical community group, whatever we call those, we want those folks to be in that type of group. So you have this place for long-term relational community that's outside of that discipleship group. Because again, the purpose is what's key. Why do you have a discipleship group? High accountability and multiplication. You don't see that in typically in a typical Sunday school or small group. You might see some multiplication. You might see some accountability on a surface level just because of how those groups are constructed. But that's a perfect place to relationally do life with those people long term. So you don't have to water down lengthy life-giving relationships. My my other uh, response to that would be how many people can you truly have a deep relationship with? You know, that, that I, I think different people have different bandwidth for that, introvert, extrovert, that kind of thing. But the reality is there's a limit to what that's going to look like. And so what we're trying to accomplish in discipleship groups is, yeah, we want to grow with these people. We want to invest. We want to build relationships. We want to get to know them. We want them to know us. But the purpose of the discipleship group is high accountability and multiplication. The purpose of that community level, that small group, that life group, if you will, is long-term relational community and bringing people into that. So I would say that's where we uh, catch that type of, if you feel like, okay, we're at the end of this, we're not. Now, 
We also would say, you don't ever have to abandon those people, okay? We multiplied. We're never going to talk again. Yeah. I would find, I think Pastor would tell you, he has deep relationship with a lot of these guys, uh, maybe not as much as when they were in the group, but he's constantly texting with them, praying for them, talking with them. And what a great way to get to know your congregation. What a great way to get to know those you're ministering to. Um, it's always a great opportunity when you can build those relationships over long term, even if it's three to five at a time. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is the one who's always pushing back on this because I think, I think ladies naturally are more emotional or more uh, connection oriented. And so they want to spend longer time. Guys can kind of, you know, give or take and you know, take it or leave it kind of mentality. But my wife's always like, what, you know, what about these ladies? Can we, you know, why, why we have to launch them? And then my response to her is always, can you call them for lunch? Can you hang out with them for coffee? Absolutely. Just because they're not in your D group doesn't mean you can't have a relationship long-term with them. The D group you have to look at as is like a boot camp for the spiritual life. This is a 12 to 18 month, maybe two years, but I wouldn't go longer than two years. Or maybe nine months. Or nine months. You, you, you could feel it out. Boot camp where you have a purpose of replication and launching. The goal is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And granted, you know, you may have long-term relations with, you can have out of that group, but the purpose is replication. And I think we forget that. You got to remember, if we're not making disciples who make disciples, then we're not making disciples. What are we doing? I mean, and, and I hate to be crass or, or, or provocative, but let's be honest. If, we're, if you're not producing, so Bill Ho used to say, if you don't produce a disciple from the discipling relationship, then you're not making disciples. Like the goal is to produce someone who then now takes their life and invests it in someone else. So I would say, yeah, I mean, you could still have relationships with these people. It may not be in that intimate, close, high accountability group. Awesome. Well, I know you guys got to get going. Um, I just want to pray for you real quick before I let you go. Um, just thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I hope, I know it's been a blessing for all of the students in the class. So Father God, right now, we just want to thank you, Lord, for Pastor Robbie, Pastor Chris. Thank you for uh, Replicate Ministries and Long Hollow Baptist. God, we just pray a blessing upon, God, the work of their hands. Lord, let everything that they do just be blessed by you. God, we pray for, God, as even as the name of the ministry, we pray for just a great multiplication, God, of everything that they have in front of them. God, every vision, every dream that you have placed in their hearts. God, we know that as we, des as we delight ourselves in you, God, that you bring those desires to pass because the they're desires that come from you. So we just pray, God, great kingdom expansion as a result of the work that they are putting their hands to. And for each of the students, God, that has been able to take a part today, we just pray that the seed of your word, God, would go deep in their hearts. And Lord, that the impartation from your spirit would find a place, God, where fruit would come from that seed. We thank you for it, God. We bless them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Appreciate it, Rick. Thank you all. Thanks so much. Have a great day. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, that is the conclusion of our Q&A with pastors Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain, the authors of the book Replicate, uh, How to Build a Discipleship Culture Where You Are. I will drop the link to the book in the show notes. So I encourage you to check that out, read that book. It is a good read, a challenging read, but an encouraging one at the same time, really believing that uh, this is a, an important uh, concept for us to get firmly set in our hearts 
And uh, also for you to even consider, might might right now be a time where I should consider leading a, a small group, a discipleship group, where I could keep it intentionally simple. I like how uh, they talked about that in the Q&A time. So with that, I just want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, please uh, leave me uh, comments. You can contact me at the growing at growing faith podcast at gmail.com. And you can also like and share and rate, comment, review the podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, on the Google Podcast Store as well as Spotify, and coming very soon, any day now, to Pandora. So trying to offer the podcast on as many platforms as possible to make it easily accessible. With that, would love if you would go into any one of those uh, platforms that you use to access the show and rate and comment and review the podcast. That would be awesome as it just helps more people to be able to access the show. With that, just wish you a big hearty God bless you and have the most amazing day.